We're so glad you've tuned into the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Robert Bowman, and I'm a ministry resident here at Rolling Hills. In this series, we've been learning about some of the impactful conversations that Jesus had during his lifetime. In today's sermon, Pastor Jacob focuses on Jesus' conversation with leaders in Matthew 18 and how their lives influence the next generation. Now, here's Jacob. Morning, church. My name is Jacob. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rolling Hills, and we'll be continuing in our conversations with Jesus series. We'll be in Matthew 18 today, so you can grab your copies of a copy of God's Word and go there now. And as you're doing that, I want to talk to you for a second about March Madness. I love March Madness. There's already been a bunch of great games already. I heard this morning that there's no more perfect brackets anymore. They've all been busted because of all the upsets. It was even a good one last night. Ohio won that one. But what I love most about March Madness is filling out those brackets. And, and this is what I love about it is because you you sit down with a piece of paper, you're doing it online, and you look at two teams. And then what you do is you're like, which one of these teams do I value over the other one? Because once you decide which one has more value to it, you move it forward in the bracket. And some people come to this moment with a lot of information. They may know that this team has a higher free throw percentage than the other team. They may know that they play better when it's 72 or below outside. There's people that come with a lot of information. And then there's people that come to it with the little information, like that there's a number seven beside this team, or it seems like the Eagles are their mascot. I think an Eagle would beat a tiger in a fight or whatever. They just come with a small amount of information. But based on that information that we have, we take our information and then we put a value on that team and then we move it forward. Here's a good example of a couple of years ago, my wife, Shannon, and I, we were filling out a bracket and... I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, I know that there's always a 12-5 upset. I always know that there's at least one 12-5 upset. Which one's it gonna be? And I'm looking at it, and I see Yale, and I'm like, okay, Yale, I saw them play once this year. They're a pretty good team. I bet that they are this 12-5 upset, and I pick Yale. My wife sits down with the same bracket and says, okay, let me look at this. This team has a 12 beside of it. It's Yale. Oh, wait a second. Rory from Gilmore Girls went to Yale, so I'm gonna push yell forward in this bracket. So she took her information and, and pushed it forward. And guess what? We were both right with Yale won that 12-5 upset. But the reason why this is interesting to me is because we look at it, we take the information we have, then we place value on that team based on the information we have. And we do the same thing with people. We do the same thing with people in our life. We take the information that we have and then we look at this person and say, do I value this person based on the either limited or a lot of information I have on them? And then we place value and importance on people through that. And at the same time, logically, because if we know that we do that to others, then more than likely people are placing value on us in the same way. So what do we do? We say, well, I wanna be valued. So we put as much in positive information about ourselves out there so that we will be valued. We're, we're almost campaigning for value and importance by saying, here's all the great things about myself so that I will be valued. But what I think we'll see today in this passage of Matthew 18 is Jesus having a conversation with us and counsel us forward to this truth, that our value doesn't come from those places, that our value comes from one place alone, and that is in him. And once we can come to that truth and know that we are fully valued in Christ, we can turn in turn go to others 
and show them that they are fully valued by God as well. That God wants to change this generation so that we can turn, in turn pour in to the next generation. Let's look at Matthew 18, starting in verse one. We're gonna go to verse six. This is what the word of God says. At that time, the disciples came and, to Jesus and asked this question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So he called a little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said, and this is Jesus talking, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, uh, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Let's pray for God to open this passage to us. Lord, Father, open our hearts, open our minds, Give us crystal clear clarity of what you would have us see in this passage, how you would have us change, and how you would have us uh, invest in the next generation, Lord. Use this time. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as we jump in, I wanna wanna go ahead and look at this first um, verse really quickly. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? A little context here. In, In chapter 17, Jesus just got through telling them hey, by the way, I'm gonna die. He, he, he talks about his own death here and then they get to this passage. And think about this, the disciples, they have seen Jesus do an amazing amount of things. They just heard Jesus say, I'm gonna die. And their response is, you know what, Jesus, that's great. But which one of us is the most important? Which one of us is the most valued? In fact, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And our first inclination is to be like, come on, disciples, you could do better than that. But I think we can't be too quick to judge the disciples on this. Because I would argue at the heart of this question is something we're asking every day with our lives. Am I important? Am I valued? And I say it like this. If we all wanna know that we're valued and important and we spend the majority of our life searching for it and asking this question, am I valued? Am I important? You ever read these articles about, uh, there's a lot about Mars out there these days, and you'll read them and they'll be like, it seems like there used to be water in this area, or this looks like ice, it could be water in the future, this is steam, this could be water, or I, I bet there water could exist at some point, and oftentimes when we're searching for value and importance, it's like searching for water on Mars. It's a hint, oh, maybe I could be valued if I do this, this person did this, and maybe I'll get valued if I do this, that, and the other thing that we're constantly searching like archeologists looking for value. So we can't be too harsh on the disciples, but also wouldn't be too harsh on ourselves either because this is not new to us. This is something that's common to human nature. The, The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. And this idea of searching for worth and value goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Adam and Eve, When they first made that mistake to take the fruit, they were searching to be more value, to be more important. Human nature has not changed over the centuries. The only thing that has changed is avenues for that nature to manifest itself. Like example, social media. I always wonder what Adam and Eve would have tweeted if they would have had social media, but that's a whole other conversation. But think about this. When you post on social media, 
Have you ever stopped and asked yourself this question? Why am I posting this? What is the reason behind me posting this and putting it out to the world? Is it a, a lure into the sea of value to see if I do have value? That I see others on social media, it seems like they're valued. If I put out similar stuff, will I be valued in that same way? And it could be we're just like, hey, I want you to see my cute kids. But it also may be, hey, I want you to see my kids are just as cute as yours are. And I think it's a healthy thing for us to stop and ask those questions when we do, because all that is is just a, a microcosm of our search for value and need. And social media is just an avenue for us to search for it. It's not the holistic picture of it, but it's just an avenue for our part of our human nature that seeks for value. But this is what I love about the Bible. This is what I love about Jesus. When Jesus is talking, most of the time, he speaks directly into common threads of human nature. He speaks into, directly into these common threads of new human nature. And here in this passage, I believe he's counseling us forward from our human nature to God's nature. And he speaks directly into our malnourishment of value here. Look at this next verse. So they ask the question and Jesus responds. He calls a little child to him and placed a, a child among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, Jesus responds to their grand question of who's the greatest by welcoming a child into their presence. Now think about this. If this was me and I just got to do, doing all these awesome things that Jesus had done, I told them I'm about to die, and they're like, hey, who's going to be great when you're gone? I may have been a little upset. I may have responded differently. Instead, Jesus in his perfect patience responds by calling a small child into their presence. And this is what Jesus is counseling us to do. He's counseling disciples and us to take the status of a child. Because Jesus' day is different than our day. We value children in our culture, but in Jesus' day, they would have looked past children whenever they were present. They wouldn't even notice them, especially if you were a girl child, they wouldn't even, you would have had even less status. So some scholars argue that this was a, a little girl that Jesus brought up, but it, it doesn't really say, but for Jesus to get across his point, it would have been even more so with a girl child. So he brings and says, take the status of this child, which would have been lowly in their eyes. The disciples would have been shocked by this, like become like a, like a child. They had, they're nothing. And so I asked who's the greatest and you give me a child. But what I think Jesus is doing is he's showing us the way to move forward into God's nature. Because here's the thing. The only way to be content with less status is to truly know that your value doesn't come from your status at all. To be content with a lower status is to know the truth that your status has nothing to do with your value. In fact, kids know nothing of status, but they do know something of value that your value doesn't come from status and all. And what we see here is the essence of something you've probably heard before. It's childlike faith. Now, the Bible never specifically says the phrase childlike faith, but we see this picture in the Bible. We see Jesus talking to the, us about this here. And I, let me give you another example. Um, these three kids right here, these are my three sons. This is... Jude, who's seven years old, Abe, who's five years old, and Zeke, who's three years old. It'd be like if you came to me and was like, hey, Jacob, who is the greatest at Rolling Hills? And I was like, you should be like these children. Now, 
your first thought may be, oh, those look like sweet kids. Actually, you know, I may work with them in kids ministry. They're, they're good kids. I like them, but I don't know if I want to be like them. In fact, I took them all three to Home Depot yesterday, and trust me, you do not want to be like them. (laughs) But what I want you to see is there are parts of them that Jesus says we should be like. There are parts of them. And I'm sure the the mother of the child that Jesus brought in, he was like, be like this child. And the mom's like, no, 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 not like that one. I know that one. But what I want you to see is There's portions of children that we should be like, and then there's portions that we shouldn't. That there's a grand difference between childlike faith and childish faith. There's a grand difference between childlike faith and childish faith. Let me give you an example. If if my son were to come to me and say, Dad, can I have a snack? And my usual response is the same, no. A childlike faith, the, the pureness of them would be to say, Okay, and then walk away and trustingly know that dad knows what's best for them. A childish face would say, dad, can I have a snack? And I say, no. And he stomps his foot and says, why not? My brother's had a snack. Everyone else had a snack. Why can't I get a snack? It's just an example of the difference between childlike faith and childish faith. And you'll see it more in these next um, few passages. Because what Jesus is trying to show us is, There's the innocence of the child. There's the pureness of a child. We should be like those elements. These are the humble characteristics. This is the status of a child. There's a a bunch of um, ones we could point at, but I'm going to point at uh, three right here. Um, The first one is the humble characteristic of a child is that they're dependent. So when, when kids grow up, like my, my seven-year-old is becoming more independent. As children grow, they gain independence and they can do more things on their own. But in the kingdom of God, as we mature and grow, it comes the other way and we become more dependent. In fact, when Jesus says change and become like the child, the word literally means to turn and become like a child, to become more dependent. My my kids depend on me for many things. They have no authority in my home, but they're dependent on me to take care of them. As followers of Christ, if we grow in Christ's likeness, we grow in dependence of God and lessen our independence on ourselves. that we can toil and make things better. We trust God more, which leads to the second one is that we're trusting. We're more trusting. A, a child is, at his pureness, is trusting of their parents to care for them. That at the very basis is like when, when there's a thunderstorm, one of my kids comes to me, my middle doesn't really like thunder, he comes to me and says, Dad, is it going to be okay? And I say, yes, son, it is. And he walks back to his bed content and goes to sleep. In the same way in the moments in my life where I've been afraid, and I go to my heavenly father and I say, Father, is it going to be Okay. And I can feel this peace in my spirit of him saying, yes, son, it is. So we become more dependent and more trusting. And back to the value is we become more dependent on God alone as our value. We become more trusting that our value is only found in him. And then number three, the humble characteristic of eagerness. Now, there's a childish eagerness and there's a childlike eagerness. The childish eagerness was when we were walking in Home Depot, they were grabbing every screw, every piece of wood, everything they could grab. I'm like, don't touch that, don't touch that. This was 
childish eagerness. But then also it's a purity to it too because they wanna know, hey, what's this, what's this, what's this? They wanna know. And if you rode in the car with me for 30 seconds with it, they wanna know a lot of things. But that's part of the pureness I think Jesus would call us to is the eagerness to know and to grow. And that a childlike faith is, I wanna, because all my, my kids, they wanna be like their older brother. I wanna be like Jude one day. I wanna be like one day. Where we, in our childlike faith, we wanna be like Christ one day. So as we become more dependent, more trusting, and more eager, that we wanna grow. And then there's a por- portion of this passage I think we miss sometimes, is this eagerness to respond. When Jesus calls the child over, the child responds, and he comes. And I think the first step in childlike faith is answering Jesus' call to come and change. And for us in this room, there's two kinds of people here in this room or watching online is this. People that have never answered the call to come. You may hear his voice in the distance. You may have been around his voice. You may have been around others who have heard his voice and come, but you yourself have never taken the step to hear his voice calling and to come. And I wanna stop right now with everything I have in me and ask you to answer that call today. Do not take another step in your life until you take that first step to answer his call to come. And for the rest of us, if we've answered the call to come, but we're still living in childlike faith and immaturity in our walk with Christ, Christ is compelling us today that you've come, but now to change. And when I say change, I don't mean there's anything you can do to increasingly make yourself better, but to become more dependent on the Father, more trusting on the Father, and eager to change, and what he will do is change you. But I'm a really practical guy. I want to know, how, what does that look like? How does God change me? So we're going to walk quickly through three ways God changes us. The first one is the word of God. The first one is the word of God. God changes us through his word. You know, when we think about the Bible, it's easy to think about it as a window. This is a window for me to look at the world and look at other people and say, okay, this is where they fall short. This is what they need to do better. This is what's wrong with the world. And at an essence, yes, the Bible is a window in which to filter the world. But even more than that, it is a mirror into our heart. It is a mirror into our heart. And when you daily put yourself in front of the word of God, God uses it to change you, to reveal to you who he is. Reveal to ourselves who we are. And reveal to us what he's calling us to be. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And that's why we do the daily step here at Rolling Hills. It's not just to have something else for you to do. It's because we truly believe the most important thing you can do with the first fruits of your day right when you wake up is sit in the word of God and let him change you. And he does that through the spirit of God. As you sit and read the word, he uses the spirit to reveal these things to you. In fact, this week I came in here multiple times in this room and prayed over every single chair in this room and I prayed this and I prayed over our online campus too and I prayed this prayer. God, let your spirit move here this weekend and let every person that sits in this seat know that they are valued by God alone. 
and then send them to take that message to others. And that's what the Spirit of God does. What it does is like, if I, as I've been talking, if anything has convicted you at all during this time, I, I need to grow in this area. I need, to, uh, I need to be more like Christ in this area. That is the Spirit of God convicting you of where you need to grow. But this is the beautiful thing of the Spirit of God. It doesn't leave you there. The Spirit convicts, but it also counsels you forward. It's like, hey, you have a pride issue. You need to be more humble. This is how you do it. You become more childlike, and then God will change you into that. So, the, so it's the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and then finally, finally, people of God. There they are. They were hesitant to come. But think about this. God's ultimate mode of transformation is when these three things combine, where the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God combine. You know what that looks like? This room right here. We are here. We are sitting in the word of God. The spirit of God is moving, and we are the people of God together. But also, it's, it's just as beautiful when a few of us will say, hey, let's gather together in a home. And let's study the word of God and the spirit of God together. And then when the people of God begin to hold each other accountable to the word of God, to lay hands on each other, to pray for the spirit of God to move in our life and to be the people of God to those around us. That's why we do community groups so we can provide those avenues that God designed for ultimate transformation. And when we do that, we are being the people of God to each other. And there's just something about being in person, sitting in a room. We'll, we'll do online until we can't do it anymore. But there's just something different about hearing the word of God read aloud, talking to each other in person, laying hands on each other, of being in a room like this together, to being in a home together that God just uses to change us. So we become the people of God. And then as the people of God, he calls us to take a next step. So look at this next passage. Therefore, whoever takes this lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying those who have taken this step to take the status of a child now know that their value doesn't come from their status, that their value comes because God said they were valued. Because we are his sons and daughters. We are now his children. And then that gives us liberty. And the liberty is this, that you are free to stop chasing importance and trust that you are important. We no longer have to go searching like archaeologists trying to find value anymore because it's not something we can find. It was something that was given to us fully, that God fully values us and fully loves us. And the proof is that we were important enough to die for that Jesus valued us so much that he gave his life for us. And if that doesn't answer the question of value, nothing ever will, that we can, we're free to stop chasing. And once we know that our value comes from God alone, then we can turn and teach others that their value comes from God alone. That when God changes this generation, we can in turn invest in the next generation. Until we truly see that we are sons and daughters, we cannot care for the other sons and daughters. And Jesus counsels us on that as well in this next passage. He says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name 
welcomes me. So Jesus has turned where he was focusing on the disciples' hearts and, and our hearts, and now he's turning and saying, okay, now I want you to live outwardly with what I've done in your heart. And he says, whoever welcomes a child who welcomes me. And I think there's a, there's a dual nature here Jesus is talking about. He's, he's, at first, he has an illustration of an actual child. Then he says, we need to become like little children. Then he says, welcome this child. I think in essence, Jesus is talking about actual children that fall in the age range of we would call children, but he's also talking about his children, his sons and daughters, those who uh, he has adopted into his family. So if he's saying that, whoever welcomes one such child welcomes me. This is the idea where we get hospitality from. And it's easy when you think about hospitality, you think about just uh, someone coming to your home, but this is gospel-centered hospitality that has an end purpose of welcoming people into the gospel in such a way that we welcome everyone as if we would welcome Christ. So back to value. If Christ was in your home, you would treat him with great value. Am I right? You would treat him with the highest importance. What Jesus is saying, the way you would treat me, treat children, treat his sons and daughters, treat others with that same value that you would treat me. That we're hospitality as if there were Christ in our so what I want to talk about for a few minutes is forms of gospel-centered hospitality. There's a lot of them, but specifically uh, ones that focus on where God would call us to care for children and his children. And the first one of those is parenting. Gospel-centered hospitality, really at the essence of parenting, there is this, this idea of hospitality. And you'll be like, ah, that seems a little odd to me, but read this quote from Henry Now. It's in your notes, but I, I'll read along with you. It may sound strange to speak of the relationship between parents and children in terms of hospitality, but it belongs to the center of the Christian message that children are not properties to own and rule over, but gifts to cherish and care for. Our children are our most important guests who enter, to our, enter a home, ask for careful attention, stay for a while, and then leave to follow their own way. Children are strangers whom we have to get to know. So what is the end goal of parenting? If you think about it, it's for them to survive outside of your home when they're old enough to get out. It's like the duck in the nest. You're ready to uh, send them out and hope they fly on their own. And our job as parents is to welcome them in such a way that we are investing in them so they know that their value comes from God alone. And as parents, we are ambassadors of Christ by showing them how much we love them as parents. And in turn, they get a reflection of how much their father values them by the way we value and care for them. It's gospel-centered hospitality as parenting. And, and in essence, parenting is discipleship as well, but I'm gonna talk about discipleship from a different angle. So forms of gospel-centered hospitality, also discipleship. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Over here in this uh, room behind us, and then the room in the back and the room over here, you have kids, you have preschoolers, and you have students. And you know what they are? They are people that desperately need to hear that God loved them, that God valued them, enough for him to send his son to die for them. And they need to hear that through the word of God. But you know who needs to take it to them? The people of God. They need us as the people of God to say, I'm gonna commit to invest in kids, to invest in preschoolers, to invest in students, so that this, we can change the world by investing in the next generation. You may think to yourself, I don't, I don't feel like 
I don't feel like I, that's what God's calling me to do, to be in kids ministry or student ministry. But let me tell you this. If you were to go and say, hey, give me, I, I want to do it one day. I just want to serve one day. What you'll see is if you, you're talking to a kid like my seven-year-old Jude and he's in kids ministry and you talk to him and you see him absorb and get the truth that God loves him enough to die for him and you see the light in his face when that clicks, I promise you will not want to do anything else. If you've been a small group leader in student ministry and you're walking and discipling with the high school and it ends like it did this morning with Rosanna Williams baptizing a high schooler, I promise you, you will not want to do anything else because you will see God like the fire in the next generation, which the future of the church and his kingdom is in their hands. But he wants to change our generation to pour into the next generation. So at the same time, that, that's his, his, the children that we need to invest in. But God would also call us to invest in his children. So gospel Center and hospitality is really the way we designed our community groups so that a community group leader would say, hey, I'm going to open my home for people to come in and study the word of God together under the spirit of God as the people of God. And as the same way there, we need more people to go serve in kids ministry and student ministry to invest and disciple others. We need the same for adults. We have adults coming every day who need community groups and we need more community group leaders to say, I will open my home. And if, as I'm saying that, if God, if you feel like God's telling you that's you on April 25th and room A over here, we're having an interest meeting at 11 o'clock. All you have to do is come in there and say, hey, I'm kind of interested. There's no commitment. You can just come hear more about what it means to lead a community group and open your home to the discipleship of others. And then the third form of hospitality is missional living. Think about the change it would make in the world if everybody in this room saw their home and the door to their home as a door to the gospel. Think about if you have young kids. How many kids come play in your yard? How many kids come to your house? How many kids are on your son's baseball team? How many kids are on your daughter's dance team? How many kids are in your circle of influence? And what if we changed the way we looked at that and we received them as the way we would receive Christ and we showed them value to one day if they're in a family of unbelievers and one day they look and they're 18 years old and they're a believer now and they look back and say, you know what? I remember when I first started to get that God loved me and it was the way that Jacob and Shanna valued me when I was in their home. And it gave me a picture of how much God values you. If we committed to that type of lifestyle, we could literally change the world for God's kingdom by seeing our home as a mission to build the kingdom. And at the same time, what if we looked at our resources in the same way? When we're budgeting our time out, we didn't just budget tithe. We said, we called it, Gospel mobilization. God, what is the amount of money you're calling me to mobilize the gospel? Because think about this. JMI, our international mission partner, what they do is gospel-centered hospitality, welcoming the next generation to the truth that they are valued and changing the world through it. Every one of our local missions partners is gospel-centered hospitality, welcoming in the next generation to change the world. And what if we looked at that and said, how can I invest in changing the world through those missions avenues? And in fact, last week, you guys did that. Watch this short video. Steve, so glad to talk to you today, man. Why don't you tell us how Fort 13 Strong even came to be? Yeah, so uh, we are seven years old. We're starting our seventh year right now. Um, I, I was... Um, volunteering at a program the YMCA was running and the YMCA decided that they were going to reorganize and shut that program down and 
Uh, as I was trying to figure out what that meant for me, I kind of felt God pushing me saying, keep that ministry going. Uh, and so after trying to ignore that calling for a while, uh, God's voice just got louder and louder in my head. And I figured the only way I could make it go away was to answer him. And so we uh, reached out and started 413 Strong and uh, it's the best thing that we've done. That's awesome. Tell the people that may not have heard 413 Strong before, what is 413 Strong? So we're a program uh, for men, and we are looking to give men growing up in the inner city of Nashville an opportunity that they might not have otherwise had. So we're a residential program. Uh, the men that come to us have to try out for a spot. Once we accept them, they move in, they live on our campus. And for the next six to eight months, we're gonna pour into them and help them uh, grow uh, spiritually, uh, physically, and um, vocationally. We're gonna teach them construction skills, help them get a job in the construction industry, teach them what it means to be dependable, um, and kind of basically help them get on a path that will lead them to future success. How can people be involved with what's going on at 413 Strong? Uh, we got a number of ways for people to plug in. Um, on Monday nights, we do a men's Bible study. Uh, we're really kind of exploring what does the Bible say about being a man? And so this is a great opportunity for men to come and just be a part of what we're doing, to be mentors, to lead these guys. On Thursday nights, we do fellowship dinner. Um, so if you have a small group that would like to serve together, that's a perfect opportunity. Bring dinner, eat with the guys, uh, just hang out and get to know them. And Friday night's game night. Um, so another opportunity for small groups to serve. Um, and if you think you're good at games, you need to come play these guys because <laughs> everything for them is a competition. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Well, at Rolling Hills, we love local missions. 413 is one of our primary local missions partners, and we want to do everything we can to continue to support you, send you people, send you resources. Um, and as part of that, we are want to surprise you today that 413 Strong is the recipient of our our Change for Change offering. So I want to give you this right now oh, just to love on you guys. And hopefully from this, you know that we 100% support you, 100% behind you, and want to help you build the kingdom in what you're doing. That's awesome. Thank you very much. And thank you, Rolling Hills. <laughs> he hugged me right after that off camera. So, uh, but yes. Here's how awesome it is. Because of your abundance and kindness for our Change and Change offering this week, we were able to give them a check for $7,000 to change the, the world through their ministry. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, walking into this last verse, um, Jesus saved the, the strongest for the last of these verses. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, talking about uh, the, the children of God now, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And you may read that and was like, man, this seems a little harsh, Jesus. You went from saying, be like a child, and now you're talking about millstones. And if you don't know what a millstone is, it's like a huge concrete block. But what I want you to see is look at it this way. What you see here is the father's intensity about the protective nature of his children. If you asked me and I showed you my three sons again, hey, what would you do if someone harmed them? I don't know if I'd use a millstone, but it would be pretty harsh. You don't mess with my kids. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, these are my children. Care for them. And there, we could talk about just this passage for a long time of what this means, but what I want you to see is that this, that God cares deeply about children and his children. He cares those who be in the age range that are children and those that are his children. And as parents and as protectors, as guardians and mentors, our job is to protect their hearts and their minds. We're supposed to protect them physically, but their hearts and their minds. And, and I could talk about this forever, but at the very least, 
They do not know what's best for them and what they listen to and what they see. And everything they listen to and see is trying to give them a truth and trying to tell them where to find value and trying to give them some picture of the world. It is our job to protect them and be very careful in what we allow them to watch and see because we want them to know that they are valued by God alone. And at the same way, us as his sons and daughters and children should be very protective about what we watch and what we listen to and what we let speak truth into our life. As we come to the conclusion here, I just want to say this. God is either calling you to come or to change. And I pray that he's speaking to you right now on what those things are. And once we come and we change and we become like children, more dependent on him for value, more trusting on him for value, and more eager to respond, I pray that from that we respond by taking what he's taught us, the wisdom that he's giving us, and pour it into the next generation. Because I truly believe this. As parents, you want to change the world, we start one home at a time. And one street at a time, then to one community at a time, and then one city at a time. And God wants to use us to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for convicting us, but also counseling us closer to your nature, Lord, that we would leave here more like your children, Lord, more trusting, more dependent, more eager. Lord, and for those in kids ministry and student ministry, Lord, I pray that you would raise up the disciples from this room to go over to those rooms, Lord, to pour into them, Lord, to change the world through discipleship and gospel center hospitality. And we ask all of this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and on ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.